Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay podcast network i'm your host brett rutherford and joining me on today's episode it's been a little bit uh, but a familiar guest on the d-rays bay podcast network and host of who's on worst it's darby robinson hi brett Uh, it's good to be back yeah and i i wondered i i had all these ambitions going into this offseason all this stuff we were going to do hit with a lockout how much news were we actually going to have to cover and while there haven't been although there have been some interesting minor league deals Recently, the Rays haven't made any, but across the league, there has been. We got some managerial news today as the uh, Mets and Oakland A's seem to both have found their new managers. And while that doesn't seem like Rays news, Rays bench bench coach Matt Quattraro was was a finalist for both positions. And as of right now, I I think those are the last two managerial spots left. Uh, He will stay with the Rays organization. So, Darby, let's talk about the... uh, the, the managers that those teams hired first, and then we'll talk about what it means for the Rays to hold on to Q. Uh, when I say Q, I'm not talking about any uh, internet conspiracy group. <laughs> I'm talking about Matt Quattrero. Um, but let's, not let's friends start with, with JFK Jr. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's start with the Mets. Uh, we'll go to the National mm-hmm. League. Buck Showalter is back in baseball after retire. Well, yeah. Did he retire with the Orioles, or was that like a mutual parting of ways type? It of was. Thing? Yeah, I guess when managers don't manage, it's like sort of a retirement. It's like in between jobs, and well, it's like was, they like to know. say that Bobby Bowden retired from Florida State when it was he 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 got a little bit of help when he retired there to, to get <laughs> out, all the way out the door. So the Mets, I, I feel like a lot of people were. He was the front runner for a while. I think, I think that was the one that people expected them to go with. Steve Cohen broke the news himself on his Twitter page. The terminally online owner is still definitely full steam ahead on, on his Twitter page, uh, breaking news, but I think it's the, probably the right choice. I mean, Buck's always seemed like a pretty good guy in baseball. Um, he is, a, you know, a veteran manager, been around the game for a very long time, but also doesn't seem close-minded to new ideas or analytics and 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 new ways of thinking. So I think that's a good maybe blend of like old school and new school. But yeah, he he was sort of I would I would say that was the favorite. That's no real surprise there. But it is interesting to see him back. Like he he had a very good uh, successful run the last time he was manager with the with the Orioles. It did kind of uh, peter out and. It's not like it's not gotten better for Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Baltimore had their own issues kind of towards the end there. And so I, I don't think – I think uh, a mutual parting, like you said, it was probably for the best because, you know, rather take that, you know, yes, TV deal money rather than right. be stuck on 
Brandon Hyde doesn't seem like he's having the best time over there. Well, that's the uh, thing so. is like we talk about how much impact like a manager has on a baseball team. I don't care who's managing that that Orioles team that only won like forty seven games. Like that wasn't going to be a playoff team if you just stuck a new manager in there. Like that was not all yeah. on Buck. Yeah, you get Sparky Anderson back, and maybe they get to fifty two wins. Like yeah, that's exactly. the you know I I don't know if there's much there. So yeah, um, in terms of the choice, it is interesting that the three finalists were two bench coaches from two of the most analytically forward-thinking progressive teams in the Astros and the Rays, and then a long-time-around-the-game veteran manager. So I would be so curious to hear, like, behind the scenes, like, who is pushing... Because that's those are two different tracks. Well, there was the one report that said that Buck Showalter is who Steve Cohen wanted, and he made that very clear. He wasn't going to be the... I guess he was going... He's the owner of the team did have last say and it was like basically your boss popped in and say you listen it's up to you uh, but here's here's who i would really really like to have as manager and then ultimately yeah. he, he's the one hired i'm not saying that that is a a bad hire i guess want we'll to play and you know see how it plays out but I, I don't know steve cohen mets fans get so excited when he got so excited when he came in and bought the team and it's been a disaster since then and a lot has gone on that's outside of his control covid and all this other stuff but like there's been a lot that's been in his control that he has not done a great job uh, of, of running a, and owning a baseball team the gm searches were i i mean probably the biggest disaster like that that's how it started right he is at the top so he is going to be in charge of filling out that front office and hiring who is in charge of running the baseball operations and he's striking out miserably at that regard and then also in terms of it, not just on the field obviously success but um i mean like he's not doing it's clearly there's a, a bad cultural planning from his perspective of vetting these clients right you can't have this many off the field uh disasters from people who are running these are these are like fortune 500 companies basically these are mini you know, multi-million dollar franchises and they are being ch in tasked with managing and running these, these clubs. And so you would hope that you really knew exactly who you are turning the keys over to. And he's done a very bad job of that. So I do think going with somebody like Buck, who at worst, I think is a good manager, right? Like, I don't know if he, he helps them get to another level or I don't think he's going to hurt a ton and we we have at least known that he's you know been around the game a long time and the people that know him his personality his off the field on the field stuff that seems pretty well covered um this will be when you know there's breaking news and i <laughs> this little audio clip can be theirs <laughs> like oh no uh arrested as shouting i'm a hall of fame baseball person um but but Buck doesn't see Buck seems like a, a much more safe hire than say like a Tony La Russa, for instance, where it's kind of like this seems like a weird choice that could actively hurt your team. I think it's a I think it's a, probably the safer choice. And honestly, if you're the Mets, probably safer is better at this point. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a tricky it's a tricky call, but I think this is probably fine. But it's also got through the Metsian lens of nothing the Mets do is going to end up fine. So we'll see. Yeah. And we talk about going back to Steve Cohen, like one of the biggest reasons that we've can, can criticize the Mets and everything they've done, the, the GM search is because how, how much it leaked, 
This doesn't happen yeah. to other teams. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. It's a New York team, very big market. They're the Mets. People always think there's a story. What's going wrong for the Mets? They're just one of those kind of laughing stock franchises. Uh, but a lot, everything got out. We knew who their first, mm-hmm. second, third, fourth choices were. For them to just get this hire out of the way, like you say, make the safe hire because it's not going to make or break their season. At least we don't think it's the Mets. Who knows? Uh, but to get this, the safe hire out of the way, you know what? I'm fine with it. And the Rays get to keep Matt Quattrero. And Danny kind of hypothesized in one of our previous podcasts this offseason that maybe Quattrero would be a better fit on the West Coast with the Oakland A's who – they have not announced it yet, but seemingly uh, focused on hiring Mark Kotze, who was a former major leaguer, uh, is their third base coach, hiring in-house. And that seems like a very Oakland A's type move to just mm-hmm. next man up. Who's going to take the job? It's going to be Mark Kotze. And I don't really have an opinion of him as a major league manager. We've never seen him be a major league manager, uh, but seems like pretty run-of-the-mill stuff for that, for that Oakland franchise that uh, is a beacon of consistency. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he played for Oakland, you know, he's their current third base coach. There is a, a lot of consistency, like you said there. Um, I, I think that's a fine choice in terms of not knowing anything about him as his managerial style or skills. It seems like on the surface, a fine choice to give a kind of the opposite of the Mets, a give a um, new manager a chance. So that way they kind of have like several, kind of years, uh, kind of rebuilding years to be able to learn on the job. Um, not, not too dissimilar to Kevin Cash, uh, come, you know, coming over, uh, getting the raise job when he did, he had a couple of years where, you know, you can work out some of the kinks of, of being a major league manager and it overall, the expectations aren't really high right off the bat. You're not coming in saying, okay, this is a world series or bust year. It's more like, all right, we're not necessarily rebuilding, not quite to the level where the Oakland A's are seemingly a tear down and rebuild, but it's sort of like 500 seasons are okay. You know, that's, you're, you're kind of seeing some good, you're seeing some bad. And by the time that window is open, you have, you are now an experienced manager. I mean, it didn't take long for Kevin Cash to be the youngest, newest manager to now being the most experienced and longest tenured in the, American League, I believe, at this point, now that Bob Melvin yeah. is uh, with San Diego. So, yeah, go, go figure. You go from being the fresh face to, well, he's the <laughs> at the top of the mountain in terms of uh, longevity and obviously now um, two-time reigning uh, manager of the year. So, Wouldn't Frank Kona still have cash beat if he returns? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Tito, yeah. Tito would. Tito would. That's right. Um, oh, and hopefully he does because, yeah. you know, everybody loves Tito. And we want to see more uh, Tito and Cash antics. <laughs> yes, because Cash was on that the staff as, as the bullpen coach uh, when Francona first got to Cleveland. So, yeah, Cash is up there, though, which is insane to think because, I don't know, in my head, he just still seems like such a new, young, and fresh manager. He seems like one of the Brandon <laughs> Staley's of the world. He, yes, I, I was, I was tweeting that because uh, first of all, I just want to say Brandon Staley is an awesome coach in the NFL. Uh, I wish his defense could play a little bit to help him out, but I am (laughs) loving what he's doing with the chargers. And yeah, I, I love pushing the envelope of saying we're, we're playing to win. 
We're going to do things in a way that I think will help us win. And then standing by that. So I um, almost yeah, wish in, in, in football, you see it a lot more because it's one game a week. There's a lot more press. Kevin Cash has said things like that in the past, but sometimes I want fiery cash to come out. And in, in, mm. in, in the local Tampa Bay media doesn't really question him on those certain things. Sometimes Topkin can, uh, but I'd love to see like a fiery cash come out after right. maybe a decision doesn't go the Rays way and he see him try to defend that because I, I know he, he's done it. He did it after the World Series, uh, but I'd love to see in, in similar types of decision-making, uh, aggressive decision-making that. I think there are a lot of similarities between new age NFL uh, mm-hmm. styles and major league baseball, how you manage like your pitching staff. So yeah, I'd love to see, uh, I know all the chargers fans that are listening to this are, we had a lot of chargers fans listening to raise your voice. <laughs> huge uh, overlap, huge <laughs> overlap. Um, but okay, it, bring it what back. I, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I, and I think, um, well, I'm curious to see what Mark Kotze say. And for instance, how, what kind of a manager is he, it, you know, because literally, I have no idea. He yeah. waves his arm to send people, and that's all I know about his managerial uh, skills so far. But um, he has it. It's a good landing spot. It looks like Oakland is tearing it down to the studs. So uh, we'll have some opportunity to learn on the job for a couple of years before they kind of bounce back because they're Oakland and they are they know what they're doing. So whether I'm it's also, in Oakland or in Las Vegas. Yeah, I am curious how that organization moves forward because it's, you know, we've heard things Billy Bean has kind of taken he's less of a hands-on approach. He's starting to look at other business ventures and European mm-hmm. soccer. He's been there, done that with baseball. He hasn't won the big one yet, but it's like who like how is this re- it's going to be not I wouldn't call it a rebuild. They're not a bad team yet, but they're going to have to definitely retool in a lot of areas, especially if they go forward trading Matt Chapman or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and yeah, if they move like any of those pitchers like Manaya, Manta. So yeah, uh, we'll see. But uh, you know, best of luck to Marcotte, best of luck to uh Buck um <laughs> uh over in uh in the Mets with Steve Cohen. So good luck. <laughs> but yeah, Q stays with uh with the Rays. The Rays kind of now have a pretty this is one of the the they did lose one big coach in Ozzie Timmons, yeah. but other than that, a pretty stable off season for both their front office and their coaching staff so far, I guess managerial or in the front office, there could be some still changes, but pretty stable from last year, which is, which is rare for a yeah. raise off season. I want to touch on the front office stuff in just a second, but you talking about keeping Quattrero, I, I don't really know what he does. Like the, that's the, He's a major league bench coach. It's not like other sports where he's, you know, he's not an offensive or defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He's the bench coach. He takes over when Cash gets fired, which rarely ever happens. Like I don't even know if he's been not fired, uh, ejected. <laughs> Please, yeah, yeah. don't yeah, fire Kevin it, Cash. Not, not too often is he getting ejected, but uh, <laughs> there's there's that stability there if he does. I think just, stability. Just do that That's, one of those games. Yeah. Yes. Stability is the best way to put it. I don't know what he brings other than they're not bringing in someone new and what they seem to be doing is working. So keeping Q, that seems like a win in in my eyes. But at the same time, I'd love to see him go get a managerial job. We talk about sure. all of these former yeah. Rays people go on going on to have success in other organizations, uh, taking a bigger role. I'd love to see that for Quattrero. Couldn't happen this year, but hopefully you know, next year is finally the year he does get that job. He's been in the running. He's been in the running for a bunch of different jobs. So I think clearly people like him. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of, you know, there's speaking of leaks from the New York. They said that he was really, really impressed uh, the Mets. So 
yeah, it's uh, there's only there's only so many jobs out there. So it is a it's really, really tough. But it uh, seems like he was definitely in that running of, of at least getting those interviews. And we'll see. We'd love to see more of our raise influence. The cash yeah. coaching tree uh, keeps spreading. Well, I almost forgot, but there were some more raise news. They have a new general manager. Peter Bendix was promoted to GM. When Eric Neander a few months ago was given the title of uh, president of baseball operations, we had a feeling that this might be coming. We weren't sure if it was going to be Bendix or Rodriguez or, I don't know, maybe somebody else. Bendix was given that promotion. And I think that's in, in, more so, and I don't want to discredit anything that Matt Quattrero provides to this race team. Keeping those front office guys, keeping that, uh, I'll, I'll use this lightly, but keeping that brain trust intact. I think is a lot more important in terms of the direction that the franchise is headed in um, than anyone on the, on the coaching staff, you know, minus Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think um, the Rays have been one of the most picked over organizations in terms of front office each and every year. Uh, Everybody wants a piece of this front office, which is, I think just a testament top to bottom, how, uh, how well they do on the field, how well they perform at their positions, but also I think in terms of, of just um, a culture, right? I mean, I think you, you've seen uh, things like with the Astros when, when the whole Jeffrey Lunau thing kind of like broke down, the Astros went and, and picked up James Click and kind of tried to bring in not only uh, the Ray's mind, but also that culture uh, yeah. going away from the kind of like the, the, really kind of toxic levels that were there before and trying to make it more of a less of a weird corporate hegemony type of thing. Um, and so the promotion of Neander was great because one, it, it basically secured that until Eric wants to leave, he basically has the keys to running all of the mm-hmm. baseball ops. You know, he is at the very, very top. There's, you know, he is the Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers. He is the Farhan Zaidi. He is the guy that is, every decision goes through like mm-hmm. him. That's the very, very top. He can do the big picture stuff. And then the really big day-to-day stuff, the kind of general managing, the kind of the stuff that um, Heim Bloom and and Eric Shared now gets to have their own position. So that, that vacuum kind of helps to give everybody a promotion, more responsibilities, more duties, hopefully more pay as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, you know, kind of, it, it gives that rung on the ladder, right? And that's sort of the thing is if you can't rise up in your own organization, you're going to go somewhere else the where you can. So opening that spot kind of really helped out. Um, I found the tweet from Topkin to kind of see the new front office structure, obviously. So president of baseball operations, Eric Neander. So at the very top, then senior VP slash GM, which was Neander's previous mm-hmm. uh, position title. Uh, so it's a, it's a very important job, yeah. clearly, uh, is Peter Bendix, who makes me feel incredibly uh, unaccomplished for someone of both my age and uh, a writer for SB yes. Nation. <laughs> so it, for those of you that don't know, Peter Bendix uh longtime friend of the site by the way post you can look back you can find articles as well as comments from peter bendix because he was a writer at beyond the box score another fantastic uh sb nation site very analytically driven so you can read articles from a very young very fret younger he's still still like he's still he's still incredibly young um but yeah Pete, pete bendix good job you've risen uh higher up where we so so far the rays have now two 
SB Nation alums in their front office with uh, Pete Bendix and um, uh, Jeff Sullivan, formerly the editor-in-chief yeah. of Lookout Landing. So they're just slowly, Brett, your time is coming soon. They're just going to be slowly plucking everybody. <laughs> we'll um, but yeah, so Pete Bendix, senior VP, GM, and then uh, VP of Baseball Ops are now uh, Chanda Laudermilk and Carlos Rodriguez. So a promotion, again, uh, for for them. And then uh, VP of Baseball Development, Will Cousins. So it looks mm-hmm. like a nice step up for pretty much everybody involved. New titles, new responsibilities, more money, and uh, a, a, a way of keeping really, really important pieces and keeping that uh, consistency going forward. And it's also good for the everyone else in that front office structure, including Bendix. It's great for them. It's great that the Rays get to keep them in that front office. But when the time comes where maybe they're offered or looked at for bigger jobs where they get the keys to a franchise to have that that resume bump, I think that's really important for them. And like you said, we've seen Bloom, Click, many others. Friedman went up to, over to the Dodgers. It was you know not really a role change, but uh, given a huge job with the Dodgers and which he's been very successful in. Love to see that for, for those guys as well. Uh, and it's... Yeah, it's really exciting, though, to be able to keep that that front office intact. So now, Darby, I know we've been talking about him on every episode this offseason since he signed. Uh, But Brooks Raley, you just wrote a new article on DRaceBay.com about why he was worth a multi-year deal, something that we've almost never seen the Rays do with relievers. Talk to me about that article and why you think Raley is going to be such an important piece on the 2022 Rays. Yeah, it's uh last time the Rays have done it was in 2014 with Grant Balfour. Neander has never given out a multi-year deal to a reliever. So when the Rays do things uh that they don't do normally or they they kind of go outside of the box, that always is worth like a little deeper look. You know, you kind of go, "Okay, what's going on there? What's happening?" Um Rayleigh's super interesting reliever. He I think already is somebody that you could trust as the in the postseason, Raphael Devers is coming up. You're going to get him out because they, you know, we, I looked into it, obviously Rayleigh against lefties. He is a lefty has been absolute death to all left-handed bats. Uh, the top three since, since Rayleigh came back over from the KBO uh, where he spent six years, uh, he, he came over and the top three uh, pitchers, all pitchers and all of baseball versus left-handed uh, batters. Number one is Aaron Bummer. A uh, very talented lefty from the Chicago White Sox bullpen. Uh, tied for second is Colin McHugh, who we race fans know all too well as a very, very strong, effective pitcher. And Brooks Raley right there in terms of uh, top FIP against for left-handed batters. Just lefties struggle so, so mightily against Raley. He's got tons of spin. He's got tons of movement. He was a starter in Korea. So he has some length. He has six different pitches. So there's a lot of really interesting things there. But when you look at him, the things that I really found super fascinating was that that he, he is a tinkerer. And if you listen to the, uh, this week in Rays baseball, where the interview that Neil Salons did with him, he, you can just tell that he really is a kind of student of the game type of guy. Like he likes to tinker. He likes baseball theory. He likes pitching theory. And he chose the Rays or was very excited. The Rays chose him, but he really was excited. The Rays were interested in him because of the way the Rays 
have developed pitching, the way the Rays utilize their pitching, and because they have Kyle Snyder. And those are really exciting things is that you have a, have a pitcher who's not just, doesn't have just natural wonder ability and doesn't really, you know, needs to be like molded. He's a guy that I think can just be like with Kyle Snyder and just sort of kind of learn together. And that's what he was with Houston. You know, he, he has a, I had a quote from a Chandler Rome piece from the Houston Chronicle where he basically Astros got him and, and we're basically like, how, you know, how you can spin the ball a lot. How much more can you go? You know, how much more can you get that spin? And we just want to just push that to the envelope, just max spin all the time everywhere. And so going to the Rays, he has this spin ability. I showed that he, it didn't drop after the sticky substance ban. That was also always important with anybody that can spin, especially coming from Houston, but there was no real change in RPM. So he just, can spin like crazy top 1% in baseball, both fastball and uh, breaking ball. He can spin it like crazy. Now going with the Rays and Snyder, they can really try to work on figuring out which of his other six pitches, what kind of sequencing location on the rubber, all these type of little tinkering things that they can do to try to get him effective against righties. Because if he can be effective against righties and he can actually get them out, not as much as lefties, but like just do okay against them. He has the length to be able to be a multi-inning guy. He has the the pitching ability to potentially be a high, high leverage guy. I mean, RJ Anderson was on the pod. He raved about him. People in the know in baseball absolutely love Bricks Raley. He's definitely one of those guys where you just say ERA, toss that out, doesn't matter. He is somebody that could be, could be a top elite reliever and could absolutely be a guy like an Andrew Kittredge who kind of you're like oh he's good he's there Mm -hmm. and then one year bam he is an all-star huge guy so what the Rays have with Rayleigh and why he's worth two years is he's already really good he can already be the top lefty in the bullpen he's already the guy that you can use to uh, attack Raphael Devers he's already the guy you can use to get Kyle Schwarber out he's already the guy that can get the rate if the Yankees ever decide to get some left-handed bats to take advantage of the short porch use them to eliminate them but there's even more. So if he can get the righties out, suddenly he ascends beyond that. But already, I think you have a very good relief pitcher who has the potential to be very, very great. Yeah, like you said, they're not going to sign a guy to a multi-year, $10 million guaranteed contract to be a lefty specialist. Like, that that's just not how any team should operate. Maybe the Rockies would do it. Um, but <laughs> the, the Rays aren't going to do that. And Cole Mitchum, when he was on, talked about how Rayleigh, when he started to use his cutter a little bit more against righties, it was a really effective pitch for him. I have a feeling the Rays are going to look at that and say, listen, that cutter works. Let's start throwing it because while there are, a lot of teams in the AL East, like, well, specifically the Red Sox, with some dangerous left-handed bats, uh, he's going to have to get righties out, too. Because you look at the Blue Jays lineup, you look at that Yankees lineup, like, there's a lot of big-time right-handed bats, and he's going to be expected to get them out in high-leverage situations. And I have no doubt that he will be able to do that. So- the, one, one last little thing on that is I also think it's a reaction to what the Rays went through last year. Uh, one of their biggest weaknesses down the stretch was all of their left-handed pitching died. <laughs> you know, you, you saw Jeffrey Springs have a kind of a fluke ACL uh, injury. You, you saw uh, Poche, Beeks, um, you know, all of these lefties that they really relied on to, to get big outs were not available. 
they weren't there. And so it really put a strain on that bullpen. And it really hurt when you faced F against a team like the Red Sox that had some really tough lefty bats. So getting a guy that can do that really well, that even with you ha- with having Springs and Poche and Beaks all coming back into the fold, you still want that locked in. You are now kind of fixing a big hole that you had at the end of last year and into the postseason. So that that's a I think a kind of reaction to if you are looking at the end of the year and saying what what went wrong, why didn't the Rays win the World Series? It's not the one reason, but it is a big part of it was they didn't have any weapons, any left-handed weapons in the bullpen when it came time to that postseason. And that and that hurt. And they're not going to have that same mistake this year. Yeah, definitely. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, I'll do some Hall of Fame talk as we get closer to the announcement of the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. And not a lot of signings to talk about, but the Hall of Fame, the announcement of the 2022 Hall of Fame class is a little over a month away. And there are some interesting names, obviously some names that have been discussed and debated over for the last 10 years. And we'll see if any of them get in this year. And Darby, let's let's jump right into it. The three closest players to the Hall of Fame. 75% you need. I think there's like 530-odd voters. Kurt Schilling, 71.1%. He's in his final year. Barry Bonds, 61.8%. He's in his final year. And Roger Clemens, 61.6%. He is also in his final year. I ask you, Darby Robinson, do any of these players get inducted to the Hall of Fame this year? I... I feel like there's got to be one, but I don't think so. I will tell you this. I I despise Hall of Fame voting discourse maybe more than any other baseball discourse. I it's it's very messy. It's uh it's like a Bravo reality show because I do also kind of like it. I like to be a like a, a you know, a, on the side uh gawking at the absolute horrible car crash that is hall of fame voting discourse um and i just hope that tom verducci does another really insufferable video this year <laughs> uh explaining his choice in the most pretentious possible way um i don't think any so Schilling is really close so he doesn't need much more to get in but but that 75 is a really high bar and i just don't know how many people have really changed their minds and boy it's it's really i i think we might get shut out and they might just keep it as a nice positive because the the baseball committee's votes and those uh, nominations are really you know pretty positive so maybe they'll just keep it at that and not want to sully you know having gil hodges and jim cott and minnie minoso and you know like them going in with pretty controversial figures like Schilling and Bonds and Clemens uh 
But yeah, I they here's here's the thing. Here's my own take. They all should be in. Um, I think Schilling has the hardest case of those three because there is a off the field sort of part of that. Um, but I think even still, they should probably be in. Um, he did. He also did say last year to not vote for him. So if people don't vote for him, they're just. He has to be left off the ballot. And I think following the Hall, yeah. the Hall of Fame said no. Like they were like, mm-hmm. uh, you have to be on the ballot. And yeah, so it's so weird. I, it's this is the worst, like this is probably the worst year yet. Yeah. Like, these last 10 last years have been year. really rough. And it's just gonna be, I do feel like after this, it gets a little bit better in we don't get the the moralizing is I think the worst part about this, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really it's not a matter, we're not talking about whether these people should be in the hall of fame based to based on what they did on the field. It is entirely their transgressions both on and off the field. Uh, are they okay enough to offset the performances on it? Yeah. And that is the most, I, I, it's such an annoying conversation because it really is. It's unclear. And the steroid era in general is just a very, it's, it's just tough because I feel like you have a lot of moralizing that, has sort of ch- it changed the rules, right? They at the time, obviously, steroids were against the rules, but nobody cared. People were looking the other way. Major League Baseball didn't care, but Selig didn't care until all sure. of a sudden, boom, they decided to care. They cared. Yeah, and we've we have heard. I mean, we have seen other people get in with some really rough off the field pasts, mm-hmm. racism, sexism. Uh, both rampant criminality <laughs> all yeah. three at once uh we have seen drug use uh performance enhancing drugs that weren't anabolic steroids but you know all sorts of uh type of amphetamines usage yeah. so it's like this where we are now saying that this is a moral hall that is above that while also saying but ignoring the fact that there are people in there so I, I, it's a very, it's a, I'm so tired, but like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are two of the most iconic and talented and successful baseball players of all time. One of them is the most successful baseball player of all time. So like, put him in the hall. <laughs> if you want to slap an asterisk on their gold plates, fine. But they are beyond approach reproach on the on the field stuff there's no even slight question about barry bonds as a hall of famer whether you you could even discount you could take 50 percent off all of those san francisco years you could discount you could just take all of the san francisco years off he's still a hall of famer for everything he did in pittsburgh i really hate i just i cannot stress enough how much i hate this moralizing dilemma and discussion to the point where you can have a ballot where you have Omar Vizquel as your like sole entry and not put on Barry Bonds. Omar Vizquel, who I don't think has a case for the Hall of Fame in general. Like he could have been like a Roberto Clemente level good guy off the field. It doesn't matter. He's not a Hall of Famer. It's it's exhausting. And what's really worse is that the Schilling Bonds Clemens debate hasn't shifted into okay we're not going to go for them but let me see like a guy like a scott Rowland who played during that era had no steroid uh suspicions 
played amazing defense, had a very strong case offensively. Uh, there's no like push to support that or, or Todd Helton or even like a Andrew Jones or Gary Sheffield. Like there, there's this, this sense of like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, if I'm looking at the ballot, looking at all these people on here and saying nobody gets in to the hall of fame on this ballot, it's, that's just baffling to me. And I think that's where we're going, but there is hall of famers on here that belong in the hall of fame. I mean, Alex Rodriguez, I think, like, is up there. Probably top five baseball player of all time, maybe. You look at him and his and Barry Bonds' numbers, they're just absolutely incredible. And you mentioned Scott Rowland. I think I, I, I've been kind of persuaded into the Scott vote yes for Scott Rowland camp because I do think there is that argument. Like, we have no idea if he never used steroids in his career. But mm-hmm. you could see him being up there with these players if there were no steroids being used in that time, I'm okay with the argument for him. And I think I don't get like terribly mad at people who decide that Barry Bond should not be a hall of famer. But like you said, when there's this hypocrisy where you're voting for guys like Viscal, who didn't necessarily cheat the game, but has been, has done terrible things in baseball. Like it's been reported like in the game of baseball, anybody voting for him and then not voting for Clemens or Bond is very weird. I still like the voting format. I disagree with a lot of the voters on an individual level. I'm okay with writers being the voters. Maybe there should, and there is the veterans committee, but maybe in the regular committee, there should be some sort of player input or people that were involved in the game input. Maybe it's like a, a rolling committee that also gets a say how much say, I don't know, but I'm okay with the format because You've got all these writers over 500 and 75% of them or more have to believe that you are a Hall of Famer. And I think that's a pretty good way to determine how great a player was. I am just so excited. And I don't know when that day will come uh, for this steroid talk to just be gone. Because like you said, it's made it such a toxic like area of baseball discussion and it's happened in the last 10 years now through the offseason, especially with, with Clemens and Bonds. And it's not going away anytime soon. You've got A-Rod and Ortiz, David Ortiz, their first years on the ballot. You've got some other guys we, we mentioned before we, we, we started recording, Robinson Cano, if he'll be in that Hall of Fame discussion, has had been suspended for PEDs multiple times. I don't think we'll get there, but there's also going to be like the sticky stuff guys. I don't think that'll ever oh, be a Hall of Fame thing, but I, I maybe can't it will. wait to Who hear knows? years from now with old, old like. Well, Jose Altuve, like, Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley. Gonna, I, I don't know if Brantley's a Hall of Famer, be. but there's going to be more it, of this. It's coming, yeah. Bregman potentially, yeah. Like, his career continues. Oh yeah, no, it's oh boy, yeah, it's rough. It, it's rough. It's and, it's and not I'm okay. great. And I am okay if when the time comes, if a voter decides, you know, Carlos Correa, I think he cheated. They were caught cheating. He never owned up to it. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Fine. But this these these, these toxic conversations where two people just are so stuck in like, like I'm okay if Barry Bonds, if you if someone decides not to vote for Barry Bonds, I think I would. But if someone doesn't, that's fine. I am tired of the of the discourse though. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's why it's a great idea. We just talk about it here on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is because of the lockout. We have to 
Oh yeah, this would not be part of the podcast if we actually had a real off season ongoing. I I think that's my thing. I don't think it's necessarily the wrong way of going about voting. It's just the the even if you have your your take, which is for some reason, I mean, there was a voter I can't remember who it was. I'm not going to look it up or care to look it up ever. But like they voted for Barry Bonds, but not for Roger Clemens. I have (laughs) no idea what possible like mental like gymnastics you got to get there but also sure whatever that's your choice i don't what i what i am with you in the sense where it's like like here's my op-ed as to why i'm not voting for barry bonds and it's like i don't care i really don't care i i would like to know your reasoning because i love to know like the reasoning and then i can go wow where'd you come up with that? Wow. Fascinating. And then just move on. And then to be like, okay, whatever. Because I, I just, I think you just say like, listen, I'm not going to vote for any of the steroid guys. Okay, fine. It's, I think you're, you're wildly overlooking people Mm -hmm. that maybe did that just didn't get caught or didn't get fully caught, but they, they seem to have a weird spike. It's just a weird, it's a weird discourse. And you know, you're looking at, you're probably going to see a couple more years with Manny Ramirez. There's some, you know, there's that you're looking at yeah a rod's on his first year of ballot and david ortiz on first year of ballot they, those are both hall of fame players i'm very curious what their numbers steroid. look like year one because we've seen some of like the bonds and clemens numbers fluctuate year to year which i've also found really weird i know there's a you can only vote for 10 but it's like which voters are changing their minds on guys from year to year I, I don't get especially that. Especially at, at that level. Like, at, at like a bond. Like, I can see where you have, like, an Andrew Jones, maybe, who you're, like, yeah. on the fringe about. Maybe we'll, you've we'll learned some him, more. But, yeah. But, like, I, it is hard to be, like, Barry Bonds. You either are for him and you don't – you're taking – you're not minding the steroids or you're you're taking that out and you're just using the Pittsburgh years or whatever. Or you are not voting for him ever. Right. Like, I don't think you could vote for him and then be, like, actually, never mind. Now that – now that Mark Burley's on the list, I definitely I can't I can't fit him in there. He was on my bubble, but I gotta make sure that Andy Pettit gets a vote. Like, like I hate the on. term first ballot Hall of Famer. That just sounds like Hall of Famers. Like these guys have been retired for five years. You've had a lot of time to think about if you believe they're a Hall of Famer or not. Well, That's the other weird thing. Was, there is no like set bar for Hall of Famer. It's it's literally sliding we can scale. Say, Everybody's just we, chasing. We can say he's got more war than fifty percent of the Hall of Famers at his position. But someone's going to always have to be the lowest war mm-hmm. Hall of Famer of their position. That doesn't make them any less of a Hall of Famer. And so who's to say that someone with less war than that person can't be inducted? Like, it's such a weird, weird thing, which does make for some fun discussion, but also some very frustrating discussion. As well. My favorite discussion is the, is getting the moralizing out and just talking about, like, the um, peaks versus sustained you know, yeah. type of discussion, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very much more for like, if you had a peak where you had maybe four years where you were one of the three best players at your position or best in the game, and then you had a, uh, you know, you maybe only had like an 11, 12 year career. And some of those years were lost to injury, but you had a period where you were the best in the, in, at your sport or right up there. And then a couple of years where you were in the top 20 and then you kind of burned out that could maybe make a really interesting case. Uh, I'm more that I like, I, I'm, I respect the people that are like 20 year good, not great ever Mm. career where you're just like, you were consistently putting out a good product. You were, you were never, you were never a negative player, but you were never like the best. 
that can be also worthy. So I, I like that debate where it's like this person's peak is better than that person's peak, but this person had more years at success. You know, so those are more interesting to me because I think you can make a case like in terms of just personal preference, right? The moralizing parts, it's just, I, I, I can't stand that. We're going to talk about one more player. Uh, the only player that if you were to be inducted would go in as a as a well a devil ray in a couple of years as a ray as well that has had some off the field issues. I don't think in his case, if he had a case for the Hall of Fame would impact him that much, but maybe I, I don't think these things have been really in the public eye that much, at least not on mm-hmm. a national level. Uh, but of course, we're talking about Carl Crawford in his first year on the ballot. Uh, I'm very interested to see because I, I don't I think he might stay on the ballot. It wouldn't shock me if he barely eclipses five percent. He's not going to be inducted, though. No, and I, he, he and he and he never will because I don't think he has the longevity. Yeah. Either um, he has memorabilia in the Hall of Fame. His his single game steals cleats are there. Um, he has an interesting peak, you know, but he was never really at the top of it. Altogether, forty one point five career. F war, which is right on the cusp of a lot of Hall of Famers. Like that's lower end for sure, but not for a left fielder too. I think that's impressive. You know, he's not playing center. Yeah. It's not a bad resume. It's not a Hall of Fame resume. It's no. but it is it's an interesting case. And he had, you know, he has a seven win season. That's great. He has a couple of uh five win season, uh, one six win season bunch of four win three win seasons so uh, sustained with a couple of peaks what always strikes me though as as a way of i think that really hurts players especially is he had a potential hall of fame like building career at 28 gets his big contract to go to boston he then does not have like another great year and so that's that's the big flaw is going from age 29 to 34 he has two good, not great kind of seasons where he's a two-win player with the Dodgers, kind of has a little bit of a bounce back than two. You know, he's more of a reserve guy, not like a starter, more in the platoon role. I think he goes from having a six-win season, a seven-win season, big contract in a big market to then flatlining. And that's that basically ends his chances because he doesn't add any really parts to his Hall of Fame legacy after the age of 28 mm-hmm. and that's when most people that's when their their crime start yeah. and that's that's when the hall of fame resume is built is that like five-year period period between 28 and 33 um and if had he continued on at a three four five win pace in that period you add suddenly another 20 25 you're looking at 60 war that's a pretty good resume for a left fielder especially if he's doing it in boston especially if there's a world series in there you get a little bit more of that attention uh or if or if he went to la and like recaptured uh something and like kind of put together like another peak year there you know at one of those big market places gets a few more um you get a few more eyes and more writers on you to potentially help vote that's a big part of it is these guys that stayed with one club especially if it's a smaller market club like your todd helton's suddenly are they really getting the the support that they should they do stand out more too 
like a Todd Helton. You're like you think Todd Helton. You think you, know, you think the Rockies in that era. Mm-hmm. You think Todd Helton. If there are voters that think about the Devil Rays, you think in Carl Crawford, and I think mm-hmm. that's why he could stay on. Those voters that go Carl Crawford, man, he was incredible for a long amount, like a long period of time for the Devil Rays. Had over 400 stolen bases when he was with the mm-hmm. team. Was one of the best outfielders in baseball. I think he won All Star Game MVP one year. When he hit a home run, did he hit a home run in the All Star Game? Or am I thinking of someone I don't else? Remember. Um, uh, not that that's going to influence any voters, but maybe they remember that moment and they remember who Carl Crawford was when he was with the Devil Rays and on that first Rays team that went to the postseason, went to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Again, n- he's never going to get anywhere near seventy five percent, but I am curious to see if he gets the five percent to stick on, and I, and I think he will. I'm willing to bet that that he does. You might get like eight percent. Who knows? Um, there's a lot of voters. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll, that'll be an interesting one. And again, we're, you know, I'll mention there's been some off the field stuff. I don't know if any of those stories have been in that national eye, uh, enough, for, at least on the baseball side of things. Like there's in the music industry, um, he's been like, uh, his name has been a hot topic for a couple of years now. Um, but I don't think that will, <laughs> I don't think Tom Verducci has caught up on the Megan, the stat, Megan, the stallion <laughs> controversy. <laughs> Oh boy, I sure want to hear his take on it though. He's, that's what Don't the video is going to be about this year. That's going to be him, gonna... him listening to what to WAP and uh, <laughs> and him sitting down with his pen, <laughs> the music video on in the background. You're gonna like TV. you're gonna like see him hover over Carl Crawford on the ballot and be like, "Sorry, can't do it." No, <laughs> like... can't do it. Uh... <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you have to Google what like bougie means. No, he would know. He would know that because of just he would he would know that because of Russian like literature. Yes, yes. He wouldn't be like I don't know what the kids are saying, but he must be talking about Marx. Um, uh, yeah, I so yeah, I don't think uh, I I would like to see him stick on the ballot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on if people like stolen bases like that. That's like he's a throwback to that. I think there was an era where stolen bases were a big part of baseball and he is on this ballot as like one of the big stolen base, you know, kind of guys. Um, there, there's some other big interesting guys, guy, which is like just a ton of fun, most exciting play. In, well, some would argue the most exciting play in baseball. Like, I mean, 19 triples, 15 triples, 16 triples. His last year did 13 triples with the Rays. Like, mm-hmm. man, very, even if he very had interesting. Three more like prime seasons. And that's a lot to ask. Like maybe he goes to Boston and is a, is a stud for one of those teams. Sticks around when they win the World Series. Like he could have a much better case. It would have been right there on the fringe. And kind of using using that kind of as an as a looking at the ballot this year and kind of looking at Rays potentially in the future. You know, as we hunt to see that first Ray in the Hall of Fame besides Wade Box. Um, I look at Andrew Jones. And I'm seeing 30, 33.9% so far of the total vote in fifth year on the ballot, just not really gaining a lot of traction. That's your like, okay, if Carl Crawford ever had a chance, yeah. if Andrew Jones isn't there, there's no chance for, for Crawford uh, or for Crawford or for KK. I think those are, those are where you're like, okay, defensive power speed coming up youth, like very young 20, mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Jones does belong in the Hall of Fame for me. He, I but agree. 
he's not getting the traction. So you're like, okay, that's probably not there. And then Scott Rowland, I think that is your test case. Five more years on the ballot. He's at 50 percentile right now. Hopefully he ends somewhere in that 60 range. So that's looking good to potentially get over the hump eventually. But if Roland never gets in, Longoria is never getting in. Right. I think that's your, I think that's your very much your line of, if you were not going to go for a guy who had, you know, defense first, best defense at your position for a number of years, a, a couple of really good peak years, uh, some some off it like doesn't isn't a slouch on offense Longoria maybe a little bit more offense rolling a little bit more on the defense but if you can't if Roland can't get in Longoria is not getting in so those are those are the two guys I look at as okay is there potential there and yeah for for Longoria we we talk about inexplicable late career resurgences uh, with some of these guys that may or may not have used performance enhancing drugs I think Evan Longoria would need some steroid seasons for him to have a chance at the Hall of Fame. Like he's got to stay healthy for one, and you need mm-hmm. to put up some just crazy offensive seasons that make you, when you look at his baseball reference, go, "Huh, how, how did that happen?" Before yeah. we raise our voices, because we're going to talk about a player that's currently on the Rays, uh, that there might someday be a Hall of Fame case for. I, I do want to ask you because I kind of threw around this idea before last season started. And that's an important caveat before last season started. If you were to sit down and do a two person, say it's me and you doing a raise hall of fame draft where you're trying to draft as many hall of famers from the raise organization as possible, knowing very well, there's a good chance both people end up with zero, but your goal is mm. to try to get the most hall of famers at the beginning of last year. I think that's a very interesting debate to have. Mm-hmm. Now this year, I think there's a pretty clear number one overall pick after mm-hmm. even just 70 games in the big leagues. So I want to ask you, if, if you had the first pick in a draft, me and you, say Wander Franco's off the board, because I think that would be okay. your answer. Would yeah. it be your answer? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, who are you drafting yeah. if you in a, in a Hall of Fame draft to try to get a Hall of Fame? For anyone from the current organization doesn't have to be in the big leagues yet. It's, it's really tricky because I, I kind of want to go pitching. Um, but I, I worry when I look at the hall of fame ballots that the pitching bar is too high for any modern pitcher to ever reach. Things would have to change a lot, which there would, yeah. like if you pick a young enough guy, the game could change a lot, which is where I'm kind of, yeah, that's where I'd, I'd be kind of hopeful there. I, I, I would, say, uh, I'm not going to go with Zunino. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think I would have to, I'm going to have to go with, with Shane Boz. Okay. It's a, it's a real tough one because pitching is one of the, it's very fragile, obviously, but he has in terms of the most explosive, most exciting stuff of anybody in this organization outside of maybe a healthy Tyler glass. Now. Yeah. There is the potential for a really high peak. Right. And with the Rays, you have a team that will build to the pitcher's strength. We saw with Tyler Glasnow, they let him go longer because he can go longer. With Snell, they were able to kind of get the best out of him by shielding him a little bit from his mistakes of third time through the order penalty. So I think you could see some really big seasons from a Shane Boz if he develops the way that a lot of people kind of think he could and kind of reach into that level. Now, maybe not the longevity, but if you had a peak of like maybe three to five years of 
six, seven win stuff. You get a Cy Young in there and then just sort of stick around. Or maybe you, you throw it, go into the bullpen, become an elite closer like a John Smoltz. There's there's a potential for and the the culture for pitching and the ideas of what that does change. That's a big, big point. That is a good point, Brett. I think Shane Boz would be my pick if if you know Wander is off the board. Yeah, I think I think that's a good number one pick. Again, like there's so many guys that are already on the big league roster. It's like they probably don't have a case anymore. Like Tyler Glass now, who's gonna be like 29 when he pitches again, mm-hmm. and he's hasn't pitched a full season in the big leagues yet. Like I, there's just not going to be enough time for him unless they put in when he, you know, got Tommy John some sort of bionic UCL and he can last <laughs> another 12 seasons. Like mm-hmm. there's just not going to be the time. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if there's enough to do a podcast there, but maybe there would be again. Once you get after like the first two rounds of picks, like you just pick, you know, throw in lottery picks out there. Like I might just go all prospects. I might not take anybody yeah. on the active <laughs> roster after Shane Boz. You might just, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I do think I will say I think the other really interesting one to pick in this, if I had to go with a position player, is Randy Rosarena, because you know he is twenty six, so he's a little older now for that coming off of his rookie season, <laughs> coming off of that rookie year. But he already has you know rookie of the year, so he's got an award, ALCS MVP. He has the ALCS MVP. He has postseason records. He has some stuff where he became the player that everybody knew and could name for a postseason. That's that's big. Like he, they, the Rays lost the World Series in 2020, but he was the player that people remember. Like that is the guy from that postseason that people were like, everybody's like, oh yeah, Randy Rosarena. So he has a he would have to have a long way to go. Um, You know, three win season in his rookie year is great. I, he would need to have a couple of like, I'd say probably six plus win seasons and maybe extend into his later thirties. But with yeah. that postseason, if he kept, if he became a consistent, like hot in the postseason guy, right. you, you have seen guys with a, a less than stellar resume or, or maybe not less than stellar, but like a lesser resume that gets really boosted. I think you look at a Jack Morris type, right? He was around forever. Didn't really have a peak, but he had postseason memorable moments and that's what kind of like kind of propelled his case forward. So I think with, with Randy, maybe you just have a guy that's a very good major leaguer in the regular season, three, four, five win player. If it can stretch out enough and then have like some amazing October moments, uh, you know, right. It's, it's all based on the writers. And we, you mentioned that the writers cases, the reasons for certain guys, it's entirely nebulous. So mm-hmm. if you're just like, wow, that guy, Mr. October. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's the guy, like maybe that's a case there is that he always performed in the clutch. He kind of, kind of get like a little bit of the Derek Jeter juice going where it's like, this guy is just is always performing in the clutch. It's a, it's a real long shot. Honestly, <laughs> like looking at the thing, it's like, it's tough. It's like, I want to pick the real answer is I want to take the, Rays 2024 international free agent yeah. like the top international free agent the race pick in 2025 or 2026 well that's, that's like the, i wouldn't be far mind. off from drafting carlos Colmenares, and like we have known nothing about him but he was their <laughs> yeah. top for like free <laughs> agent signing like he's got a better shot than austin meadows probably like because we just yeah. don't know what he's capable yeah. of yet yeah. so i'd be yeah, i'd probably go like a rosarena lao 
McClanahan. Mm-hmm. Se- second baseman, there there is a little bit of a tougher like there's there's plenty of room there to be maybe one of the best second basemen of the generation. Yeah, hit a, you know most home runs. We're seeing Jeff Kent struggle, which is big problem for allowed because you have he was one of the better like defensive or offensive second baseman of his era More like a dan Ugla. yeah but you again you allowed to another long. like eight seasons of this and it, I, you know, that's that's impossible but you know, yeah again a very probably pointless but fun draft to have of like who's gonna make the hall of fame maybe maybe you did it if we were actually destroyed out who do you think will get the most hall of fame percentage votes you know maybe yeah, that would be a go. better way who's gonna be yeah. on the ballot who's gonna rack up the most percentage of votes uh, for their time on the ballot maybe that would be a fun way to do it because i could see a randy rosaran or a brandon lau getting on the ballot uh if they have totally. a few more years like this you know that's not again with with randy it's like you you have already moments that are hall of fame worthy stealing home in the playoffs like if you can get if you can get 10 years of that which is a huge huge if but if you get 10 years of that yeah i don't know that matters like you could be like well this guy wasn't i mean like omar viscal is getting again not to hammer homer viscal but he he's getting there because he was around baseball for a long time that's it yeah like he like he was never never even had a peak like he was just on a baseball roster for 20 years. So there is some case that you can make a case out of nothing. So like if Randy has maybe a, like a seven year good career and it's like 10 years total. And those last three years are completely bad. But in those seven years, he has like, he steals home again. He has another like 10 home run. Raised with the world series. He, he gets like a world series moment. He wins world series MVP. Like if he, if you get some of that in there, suddenly you may not have the best, like on the field case, but you could potentially be the guy that are like, oh, wow, every every writer, because everybody pays attention in October, every writer has a memory of a Hall of Fame je ne sais quoi. Mm-hmm. There's one name we didn't mention in that, and there's the guy that we might be making a case to be in the Hall of Fame coming up right after this break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Just went through a lengthy Hall of Fame discussion, which turned into a mini uh, Rays Hall of Fame draft. We mentioned how Shane Boz, we took Wander Franco off the table. Shane Boz, Brandon Lau, Wander, or Randy Rose right now were our top picks if we were to have this draft. There's one name, though, and it's someone we might be trying to make the case. It's been the discussion on Rays Twitter. There was an article on D-Rays Bay uh, people were poo-pooing it on Ray's Reddit, saying, I can't believe they're writing this sort of thing on D-Ray's Bay. They, why are they giving this the time of day? And that is the case for Kevin Kiermeyer, Darby's best friend, to be a baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Just that sound. All right. Uh, All right. Uh, so I... JT Morgan had a really good uh, article about this where he kind of takes the idea of like, let me try to argue this out. And in in typical JT fashion, uh, by the end of it, he is thoroughly convinced himself against it. 
because he's just like, can't even like make the case. Um, it would need, I, I think there was a hall of fame career on the precipice. I was looking at this today. I was looking at his stats. I, I don't think he has a hall of fame case. I don't see any potential of getting there. I, like I mentioned, if Andrew Jones is struggling to get votes, Kevin Kiermaier has no shot, but I do think there was a point where he had a hall of fame trajectory and it just didn't quite get that way. And that's okay. You know, he's 31. He's very so good. I, he's got a very, very good. He's career. very good. Yeah. And and he's going to have, he had, like we mentioned with, with Randy, he had Hall of Fame moments, mm-hmm. right? He will have moments, you have memories of like, wow, that was one of the best plays of that year. And he won a platinum glove. I think the point where it all kind of goes downhill again and it's right in the same place where kevin where uh carl crawford kind of like dropped off which is right in that 27 28 29 year so 2017 kevin kiermeyer he he gets hurt for most of the year or at least a big chunk of the year he only plays 98 games coming off a year where he only played 105 games both of those years though he he comes off a four win season and a three win season he has over 100 WRC+. Plus. The defense is incredible. He just doesn't have enough games, but like those are your potential peak years. And that's coming off of two four-win seasons. So in a, in a row, you have like three wins, four wins, four wins, three wins, all in a row with a lot of injuries in there to potentially make it potentially six, seven-win season with that offense. After that, though, he doesn't break two wins until this past year. And that's a combination of his bat just completely eroding. You know, we it didn't need to be much offense. It didn't, it only needed to be right at that 95 to 105 WRC plus range. Right around it just average, needed to yeah. be just, a, just right around average bat. You know, he had enough pop, not too much, 10, 15 home runs, just enough base hits, get some triples in there, get some steals in there and let the defense and let the glove kind of make the case. But then more injuries, more, you know, kind of some short season effects, just the bat really fell off the, off the plate there for him. I think had he consistently stayed healthy and put together four to five wins each and every year to this point, suddenly you're looking at a guy that's in the 35, 40 career war range. So that's right on the fringe. And then you could see another five years if, he stayed healthy, big ifs, but stayed healthy. The speed and the glove doesn't, you know, take that step back, which is what JT said is for a guy that's built so much around speed, you really do think like if you lose a step or two, that greatly reduces his abilities on the field, but stays healthy, is able to keep playing center field at a high level, maybe not platinum glove, but like consistently getting in that gold glove caliber race there was a hall of fame trajectory. Um, the last few years kind of ended that trajectory. So he's going to be a guy. I don't think gets, maybe he gets a vote or two in, in, you know, uh, a decade plus when he's on the ballot, but he's a one, one and done on the ballot type of guy. But I, I could see the, tra- the trajectory there. I could see where that was going. It just sadly, which happens to a lot of players, it, it just never, never developed because of that. Hall of the... very good, though. Hall of very good, I think, is yeah. where it's going to all end up, um, which is, I think, there's a lot of 
very fun players in that hall of very good that doesn't exist. Should be built in Ithaca or something. You know, not Cooperstown, but maybe outside and, of Cornell. And I think almost without a doubt, if there's ever I don't know if the Rays would retire his number. I don't I, I think right now like Longoria is the only player whose number isn't retired that will be. If there's ever some sort of ring of honor or team hall of fame, other way to honor players if inside the stadium in some way, I think without a doubt, Kevin Kiermeyer in that right away. Like right up there with David Price, Evan Longoria, Ben Zobris, James Shields, Scott Casimir, BJ Upton, I would put him in there. That mm-hmm. group of players, like all time Rays players, maybe even Chris Archer. Uh Without a doubt for me, he goes right in there if, if they ever decided, which I think they should do something like that. I'm all for honoring like your franchise greats and it doesn't have to. I'm not a big fan of retiring numbers, so I'd love to see some sort of team hall of fame. Get that statue statue with the yeah. Ebor. Oh, he'd be a great statue. If you can actually <laughs> the Ebor like, stadium. The thing is that you can't mess it up. Though. We've seen some really botched uh, statues. Like, if you're going to do a Kevin Kiermeyer statue, you've got to. It's got to look like Kevin Kiermeyer, and there's got to be some sort of way to get the eyes on the statue because they're just bronze <laughs> like some eyes. LEDs. Yeah, LEDs. Yeah. <laughs> you're not getting the essence of Kevin Kiermeyer. You've got to get like the five o'clock shadow down. It's going to have to be a really yeah. nice statue to pull off that that look. Uh, ben Whitelaw of RBLR Sports. He's the one that started this discussion on Twitter. Again, everybody knows that I've been uh, Kevin Kiermeyer's biggest supporter, but maybe not. Maybe it's been Ben. Uh, his his Twitter at dogpancake73. I don't know. You have to ask him about that. Um, <laughs> he, he put out a couple threads about why Kevin Kiermeyer could be a Hall of Famer. And again, I'm not going to try to sit he, try to sit here and tell you guys that today he has a Hall of Fame resume. I will say. And it would take something monumental, either a monumental shift in how defense is uh, perceived, because like we said, he's been his career OPS plus is 98. I'm sure his WRC plus is there or thereabouts. If there is this extreme change perception of defense and the role it plays in baseball, then Kevin Kiermaier's name would have to be in the discussion. Or also, if there's some way to retroactively reevaluate defense a metric or some set of numbers that we don't currently have access to but maybe they can go back and look with the stat cast data that currently exists to show from what i can what i see on the field and what i truly believe that he has been the best defensive outfielder in the game for almost his entire career and if there is some better way to quantify that that shows that he is that his his glove is just as valuable as some of the game's best bats are or best arms are, then maybe there's a case for Kevin Kiermaier. I don't think that's likely. His current numbers aren't there, but I do think there's a heavy bias on players whose bat gets them there. Mm -hmm. So much so where you ignore some really horrendous defense from some of these players that can't be buried or were not buried in a designated hitter role or moved to a position that's not shortstop. Like I'm even looking at you, Derek Jeter. I'm not trying to to say, I'm not here to say that Derek Jeter is not a hall of famer. I I hate that. Like he is 100%, 1000% a hall of famer. Uh, But to say that he is this great defensive shortstop that earned countless gold gloves. uh, That's just, 
asinine. But Kevin Kiermeyer is. He has been that. He deserves, even now into his 30s, to be the center fielder when the Rays have two elite center fielders right behind him in Brett Phillips and Manuel Margot. I still believe he's the best of that bunch into his 30s. These are guys that are younger. These are guys that, as of right now, make less than him. So the Rays have decided to keep Kevin Kiermeyer. That shows a lot about his defensive abilities. I think I am here for all the Kevin Kiermeyer support. I, I maybe I'll get Ben on the podcast at some point this offseason. I know I, I'm supposed to go on RBLR with them. Um, so I'm here in the middle, middle of the lockout with no signings going on, no trades going on to just talk about Kevin Kiermeyer and, and how great he's been in a Rays uniform. I, I love the passion. I love the passion. <laughs> yes. It's a long offseason made longer with the lockout too. So I actually like this debate. And in all honesty, one of the things we joke a lot about, I I have not been the biggest Kevin Kiermeyer supporter. Um, I but there is a level of respect that you have to have for Kevin Kiermeyer as a player. He is the best defensive center fielder of his generation, right? Yeah. Like he, you there were there was always a guy that you could be like, oh, it's him versus Kevin Pillar, it's him versus Brian Buxton, and still it's just well, Kevin Kiermeyer. He's at the top. Right? Is there a place in the Hall of Fame for a player like that? See, the way the Hall is built, no. But like, there, like, I want to see Kevin Kiermeyer's like glove, his platinum glove there, which I believe it is. I like, I want to see. I think the Hall for me. I've been to the Hall of Fame a couple of times, mm-hmm. and by far the most interesting part of the Hall of Fame is not the plaques in that section. It is the museum yeah. that is there. That, that is that the hall. Cool it's kind of small. You know, you see some old guys' faces, and then that's it. But yeah, it's it's like okay, this is cool. Like this is great. Like oh, there's the plaque for you know some like legendary players. I'm not gonna I'm not some racist. <laughs> some legendary players, some legendary great ball players, and the other players that would have tried to keep them out of the Hall of Fame yeah, exactly. if they could. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great prestigious place where you can look at Frank Robinson and then look across at the guy that would have been trying to keep him from ever playing the game if he had his way. So yeah, exactly. It's it's doesn't have the same power to me, right? So you can see some people be like, "Wow, that guy is a great player," and and you know, it's a great place to bring kids to, you know, maybe teach. But the the by far the most interesting place where I have seen kids running around and I have acted like a kid is in the museum part where you can see Carl Crawford's cleats and you can see these like artifacts and you can see a little blurb or a video of like what happened in that moment. And it really captures the game of baseball, which is what I believe the hall of fame is. And I do think Kevin Kiermeyer has belongs in the museum. I believe I want to see some of the highlights from Kevin Kiermeyer live on because they are some of the all-time best catches and plays that we have ever seen in baseball history. And I think that has a place and it belongs in the museum, which is, I think the better best part of Cooperstown anyway. I, I like that point a lot. And this is a lot like making the argument for like the best punter for like 12 years to go in. The, and again, different hall of fames, but it's like that person was the best at what he did. Nobody was better. Doesn't he deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame? Kevin Kiermaier, like you said, is the best center fielder, defensive center fielder of his generation. He does deserve to be honored in some. In, 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 and I think if someone were to argue and vote for him to be in the Hall of Fame, again, I would have no problem with that. As things stand, I would not vote for him if I were a voter. 
uh, but I am all for the charge. I'm, in, I'm very much in support of anyone who does believe that Kevin Kiermaier is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Darby, any final thoughts? You had any idea when this lockout's going to end? Uh, I'm not I'm not even going to think about it until February, right? Like it's the clearly the players and the owners had, were when the lockout started, they were not ever going to even talk until after the new year. So that yeah. that like already you were like December's gone. January, I think you're going to start to see a slow return to business, but it's going to take a couple of weeks before anything gets serious. February, that's going to be the month where they actually are like, all right, let's, we should probably, let's be real now. And then, cause now suddenly there's a ticking clock, just like yeah. stadium saga stuff. There's nothing is real until there's a ticking clock. And just like me in college, until there's a deadline, I am not opening my computer and typing a single word. I know it's coming. It would probably be better if I got working on it now. It would be better if the owners in the players union were working on it now. But once the deadline is coming, they're going to pound some coffee. They're going to pound some Red Bulls and they're going to get down and they're going to type and they're going to put together an adequate B grade, probably collective bargaining unit that hopefully is a B grade or a plus for the players and a yeah. C minus for the owners mm-hmm. because they have plenty, but I don't think anything happens until February. Cause then it becomes real. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of raise your voice. Thank you to Darby for coming on and thank you to everyone for listening. As always, make sure to head on over to dracebay.com to check out all of our great off season coverage, including Darby's article on Brooks Raley and the Rays' decision to give him a multi-year deal. If you like what we do, Uh, Rate and review our podcast if your platform allows it. And if you want every new episode of Raise Your Voice, of D-Raise Bay podcast specials, and of course, Who's On Worst, hosted by Darby and Ashley McLennan, make sure to subscribe or follow, whichever your term your platform calls it, and that will help you guys get every new episode from the D-Raise Bay podcast network. Once again, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you. Well, I'll probably take a quick break for the holidays, but I'll talk to you after Christmas. Christmas.